Chase McGrath for the win for the Volunteers. From 40. On the way, a knuckleball. He got it! And here they come. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage. Part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to the show. I'm your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. As always, you can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93, or you can follow the show and be part of the conversation at Chatting Yardage. Thank you once again to listening, wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening. We thank you for tuning in to this fine program. Boy, week seven uh, has come and gone, and, and you know, it's hard to believe looking up at the calendar as we hit late October, which seems uh, an anomaly in itself. It seems like every year once you hit October, especially with the holidays approaching, the, the rest of the year just kind of flies on by, but you suddenly you look up and you realize that you are now over halfway through the season, um, and a lot of teams, you know, are really starting to come into form, a lot of, uh, a lot of I think kind of in-game, you know, results as far as where we're heading are starting to shape up in a couple of conferences, or if at least we're not looking at who the ultimate winner of a conference is going to be, we have an idea of who the two it may come down to. Um, so certainly we're entering just a great stretch of college football, and week seven was no different than that. Um, I think... It's funny when you look up and you see, uh, I believe it was like you know around five o'clock, five six o'clock Saturday evening. You had three different games from the three thirty slate heading to overtime, um, and boy, it was just a great afternoon of college football, including what might end up going down as the biggest game of the year and, and could possibly go down as an all time classic. But uh, we'll go ahead and dive into that now as we look at last week's. Pick six games of the week. Uh, first game that we talked about was Penn State at Michigan. Michigan comes out with a big win, 41-17 to over the Nittany Lions. Uh, this was certainly Michigan's toughest opponent so far. Mich- uh, Penn State, rather, of course, came into this one rated number ranked number 10 uh, in the country. And Michigan, who, you know, who has taken a, quite a bit of grief for their for their earlier schedule this season and their lack of tough opponents uh, I think they showed that they can certainly hang with you know hang with anybody after pretty pretty handling uh, pretty well handling Penn State 
on Saturday. And, you know, it, it makes sense. And I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt. I think, you know, the biggest questioning among Michigan was simply just because of their early season schedule. But, you know, bear in mind that this is a team that won the Big Ten last year, that was in the college football playoff, that didn't have a whole lot of turnover. So this is still a very talented team. And, you know, it, it's already fun kind of looking ahead at, at their remaining schedule and at Ohio State's remaining schedule when you kind of realize that, boy, these, these two teams – could very well be undefeated when they face each other on that last Saturday of the season. So that's going to be a big game to look out for because because they are in the same division within the Big Ten. You know, I think that game, like it has in so many years past, is going to determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game. So uh, Michigan with a big win there. Syracuse remains undefeated, taking down NC State by a final score of 24-9. to Now, we did miss out on the news last week. Um, in fact, it came out, I think, the morning that the episode dropped or maybe, maybe later on after I had already recorded late on Thursday that NC State quarterback Devin Leary uh, was going to be out for the rest of the season. Um, you know, of course, he he did he was sidelined in the Florida State game the week prior, um, and then come to find out that he did have a torn pec, uh, which was going to require surgery. I believe by this point he's already had that surgery. I think it was originally scheduled for like Monday or Tuesday of this week in, in which you're listening to the show. So he's out for the season. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Wolfpack, it certainly showed, uh, you know, the, the offense has been a big question mark for all, for them all season long. And that continued on Saturday, only being able to put nine points on the board. But Syracuse, Syracuse had a good game plan. Uh, they played really well and, and, you know, not their strongest offensive performance, but you were playing against what is a very good Wolfpack defense. So Syracuse suddenly, you know, remains undefeated on this season and I think to the surprise of many um you know they, they've had they've had some really good games coming down the stretch you know they haven't had the toughest of opponents state is probably the best opponent that they've played so far this season but I, I tell you they've they've certainly gotten that fan base excited about Syracuse football again but uh, they have a they have a tough one coming up this Saturday which we'll we'll get into later on TCU remains undefeated after Saturday, taking down Oklahoma State at home in overtime. This is a game that Oklahoma State jumped out early on the Horned Frogs. TCU managed, though, to climb back into this one, force overtime to ultimately win it by a field goal. Uh, another one of those 330 slate games that you look up and you realize, oh, crap, you know, this one's going into overtime. It's staying fairly close so uh, certainly a, a good game there that that was fun to watch and keep up with uh, TCU's a really fun team man uh, they, they've got a lot of things going and I think it, it's a big surprise to a lot of people like I've mentioned on, on the show before you know you don't necessarily expect uh, production quite like this from a from a brand new head coach in his first season but it, it makes you wonder what was missing with Gary Patterson the last couple of seasons and why Sonny Dykes was just able to immediately come in and, and sim, you know, seemingly eradicate those issues. Uh, they still have a couple of tough opponents coming up, but, man, uh, TCU looks good. Just a, a, just a well-balanced team, heck of a quarterback, really fun team to watch. 
Now we'll go ahead and dive into what was probably, the, not probably, what was honestly the game of the week, uh, the game that had everybody talking. Kentucky, Mississippi, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Tennessee takes down Alabama in a thriller, 52-49, to uh, a game that had a walk-off field goal by Tennessee. The fans stormed the field, an amazing visual, fireworks, goalposts were torn down. Apparently, TCU can't afford to replace them for whatever reason. Anyway, uh Huge upset here, though, because, you know, Tennessee, of course, had the 15-game losing streak to Alabama, uh, seemingly since Nick Saban's uh, start for the Crimson Tide. Uh, but, you know, huge win for the Volunteers, and I think show, I think showing that, A, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and I'm talking, you know, potentially top three in Hendon Hooker. Um, if you go back and you look at that last drive as time is you know kind of winding down with less than a minute to go when Alabama misses the field goal and turns the ball over, you're talking about a guy that within two quick deep ball plays was able to immediately get Tennessee within field goal range. Um, and, you know, that, that ultimately gave them the win. And, and really, you know, the big pass plays were a big story in this game. Just, you know... I don't know if I've ever seen, at least you know, not during this stretch under Nick Saban, if there if I've ever seen so much blown coverage by Alabama uh, defensive backs. Tennessee really made their you know made their bread and butter on Saturday through the deep ball, and it worked well. They had a tremendous game plan. Um, Bama, you know, it, it's an interesting thing when you try to look at the broad scope now of the SEC. Um, you know, because we have we have fallen into this trap before in previous seasons where, you know, Saban will lose a game inevitably to somebody, you know, throughout the year. You know, last year it was Texas A&M. Uh, you think back to that game a few years ago where they lost to Ole Miss. And I think the trap that we fall into in that case is we automatically go, oh, well, there goes Alabama's season. But, you know, there's still plenty of time left um, I don't think any one-loss teams theoretically are out of the running at this point. Um, but, you know, it makes things interesting now because Tennessee has to host Georgia at some point this season. And then, uh, you know, it could still end up being Alabama and either Tennessee or Georgia in the SEC championship game. So there's still a, there's still a path for Alabama. But I think, you know, you, you look at this year's Crimson Tide team, they have one loss, but they could very well have three. When you think about the close call against Texas and you think about the close call against Texas A&M, you know, for whatever reason, this doesn't feel as strong of a team as we've seen under Nick Saban. In fact, you know, since the dynasty quote-unquote began, this might be his weakest team we've seen so far. So it'll be interesting to see how the SEC plays out down the stretch. But, you know, hats off to Tennessee. Heck of a game. One that I think, you know, no matter who you pull for, you'll remember for a long time if you were able to watch it because it, it was just an entertaining game back and forth with some great visuals at the end. Uh, you know, and that, that's part of just what makes college football so great. Moving on to game number five from Saturday, Kentucky takes down Mississippi State 27-17, a good bounce-back win for Kentucky, who's hit a bit of a skid as of late. Mississippi State, a tough loss for them now, um, as they have a couple of losses on the season. They are 5-2, and two, uh, not, not necessarily a bad record. This is a game that they probably could have won, but... Uh, it hurts in the fact that, you know, you had the game in control at one point. 
um, and you let it kind of let it go, and then you have to turn around and face what is probably an angry Alabama team uh, this coming Saturday. So a uh, tough blow for, for Mike Leach and his offense uh, in this one, but a good bounce-back win for Stoops and company at Kentucky. Uh, you know, they're still a very good team. They're still a very tough team to play. They have one of the best running backs in the entire country. Um, but I think, you know, I think along with Florida and a couple of other teams, they've, they've kind of been exposed, quote unquote, as to who they really are. And I think there's another SEC team that might be getting exposed before too long. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll touch base on that here in a bit. And then your final game of the week. Uh, your North Carolina Tar Heels take down Duke 38-35 to in Durham. Uh, a really fun, you know, when you look back at it, it's a really fun back-and-forth game. You know, if you base the entire game on the very first offensive play, then you would think Carolina was going to run away with it uh, from a deep ball pass from Drake May to immediately start things off. But then what I noticed, you know, they, they rattle off a couple of more plays and then they end up settling for a field goal in the red zone. They can't quite punch it in. You know, at that point, you realize that 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 was a win for Duke, more or less, because, you know, you, you took what was a what really was a blow to the gut uh, to start off the game. And then you look up and you're able to hold them just three points that that certainly kept Duke in the driver's seat. You know, and not the cleanest of games. You know, there there were a lot of penalties back and forth, turnovers. Uh, you know, I think it's it just chalks up to kind of what you expect from a night game between Duke and Carolina. There's always kind of something weird uh, going on, but uh, Mac Brown uh, remains undefeated against Duke in this current tenure. That is now four years in a row, and the Tar Heels take back home the victory bell. Uh, sorry to Daniel and Meg, who might be listening to that right now. Better luck next year. We'll go ahead and dive into the rest of the scoreboard across the SEC. Georgia just bludgeons Vanderbilt 55 to nothing. The dogs seem to be back on the right track now after, you know, two or three kind of iffy weeks. You know, not there was one week that, you know, there you kind of questioned if they were going to win. That was at, you know, at Missouri, but uh, they come out with the win there. And then you know, now this week they really bounce back. 55 to nothing is your score there. Ole Miss uh, with a two touchdown win over Auburn, 48 to 34. This is a game that I think Ole Miss jumped out like 17 to nothing fairly quick, but let Auburn kind of get back into this one. Brian Harson still has a job, but I'll just leave it at that. And then uh, Arkansas takes down BYU at BYU. Final score 52-35. Good win for Sam Pittman and company uh, to try to get back on track against a BYU team that I think has you know, had really high expectations this year, but it's kind of underdelivered now that they have their third loss on the season. So a, a tough go there for the Cougars. And then LSU takes down Florida uh, at Florida. 45-35 to is your final score there. So LSU, you know, trying to pick up some steam, especially with a big game coming up on Saturday. The other two ACC scores to report on, Clemson uh takes down Florida State 34 to 28 is your final score there in Tallahassee uh, a game that you know was really close for the majority of the run uh, as Clemson just tried to just kind of had troubles getting stuff going on offense but ultimately they still come out with the victory so now with wins over NC State Florida State and Wake Forest the Atlantic is all but theirs except for maybe one game coming up uh, Miami comes out with a close one over Virginia Tech. 20-14 to 14 is your final score there. Miami still just having a tough season. Virginia Tech having an even tougher one. Uh, 
In the Big Ten, uh, Illinois takes down Minnesota 26-14. Boy, P.J. Fleck just not having a good year for the Golden Gophers as they continue to lose games that they probably shouldn't. Maryland over Indiana, 38-33 is your final score. Uh, Michigan State with what is a kind of a big win, at least against a, a conference rival, 34-28 tw- over Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin just not having a good year, you know, with an interim coach now. Uh, Michigan State, though, trying to uh, trying to get something going. Uh, but, boy, they, they still have just an uphill climb, uh, especially – with the toughest part of their slate still coming up. And then Purdue takes down Nebraska 43-37. Now on to the Big 12 Thursday night game between West Virginia and Baylor. The Mountaineers with a big win, 43-40 over the Golden Bears. Boy, Baylor pretty much out of the running now when it comes to the Big 12. I think a team that had really high expectations, a team that well, maybe one person had going into their college football playoff. Uh, we, we won't talk about him. Uh, Oklahoma with a bounce-back win over Kansas, 52-42. to Kansas now out of the top 25, but a good story there this season. Still exceeding expectations. Oklahoma, that's a good bounce-back win for them, trying to avoid losing four in a row. And, you know, when you looked at the schedule, Kansas was certainly a team that you had to feel like maybe would have a chance at making it four in a row. Uh, against the Sooners and then Texas takes down Iowa State 24 to 21 just not a not a good game at all for the Longhorns um you know you you keep expecting them to kind of take the next step this season take the next step especially after week two and pushing Alabama to the brink you know just can't quite get it going uh like like they want to other than of course the blowout game against Oklahoma uh but you know that that's I think that's a little more on Oklahoma's end than anything else now on to the Pac-12. Uh, what was probably the game of the week for the Pac-12? Utah takes down USC 43-42. to That was a late-night thriller. I believe that was an 8 p.m. kickoff. So uh, that one ending right around midnight Eastern time. Uh, a game that I that I almost put in my pick six last week, um, but I decided to switch one out for that one. But, you know, it was still a game that I was keeping a close eye on and got to catch, I don't know, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter in, just a, a good game back and forth. Uh, Utah Utah looking good, you know, still only one loss on the season. USC now one loss on the season, so it's making things interesting out in the Pac-12. Uh, Colorado, first win on the season. How about it? 20-13 to over Cal. Uh, gotta gotta commend their effort to show up and actually get their first win of the season. That's gotta feel good for those boys to finally notch a W on the board. Uh, Washington, good bounce back week, uh, forty nine to thirty nine over Arizona. Notre Dame falls to Stanford, sixteen to fourteen. Stanford, one of the one of the worst defensive teams in the entire country, if not the worst, holds Notre Dame to only fourteen points. And just when you kind of thought that. Notre Dame was maybe finding it and, you know, really getting itself together. They now suddenly have three losses on the year. Uh, so a tough blow for the Irish there. And then Oregon State handles Washington State pretty handily. 24-10 to 10 is your final in that one. Now looking at the top 25 for this week, newcomers to the rankings. Tulane, number 25, and North Carolina, number 22. Dropping out for the week, 
Kansas and James Madison both out. James Madison, of course, with their first loss on the season. Tough blow there uh, after reaching rank at 25 last week. Biggest drops in the rankings. Penn State drops from 10 to 16. North NC State goes from 15 to 23rd. And Mississippi State goes from 16 to 24. Biggest climbers in the top 25. Illinois jumps from 24 to 18. Utah 20 to 15. And TCU jumps from 13 to number 8. So the Horned Frogs now within the top 10 of the rankings. Your top four rounded out now. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Michigan. So two conferences ruling currently the uh, the top four, but ultimately we know that those rankings will work themselves out because they all still have to face each other. So that's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out whenever, uh, whenever college football playoff rankings uh, finally start coming out sometime next month. Well, that's enough of me rambling uh, here to open up the show. Let's go ahead and jump into our first segment as we do each and every single week. This is Four Down Territory. First down. One of the greatest football teams in Louisiana Tech history will return to their stadium this homecoming weekend as members of the 1972 National Championship squad will be honored at Saturday's game between LA Tech and Rice. Under the guidance of head coach Maxie Lambright, the 72 Bulldogs compiled a perfect 12-0 record en route to winning the Southland Conference Championship, the NCAA College Division Mid-East Region Championship, and the National Football Foundation College Divisional National Championship. LA Tech was dominant during its historic run 50 years ago, outscoring opponents 293-134 to and posting three shutouts. The first of those shutouts came in the season opener at UL Lafayette as the Bulldogs downed the Raging Cajuns 7-0. The last shutout came in the Grantland Rice Bowl as LA Tech throttled Tennessee Tech by a score of 35-0 in Baton Rouge. Wide receiver Roger Carr was named first-team All-American and Southland Offensive Player of the Year, while Fred Dean was named third-team All-American and Southland Defensive Player of the Year. Other All-League selections included quarterback Danny Duran, Offensive tackle Pat Greer, safety John Cossey, and linebacker Joe McNeely. A special logo commemorating the 1972 National Champions will be displayed on the field while returning players will be recognized during the game. Kickoff is set for 2 p.m. Second down. Charlie Trippy, who played football at the University of Georgia, has passed away at the age of 100. He passed away peacefully at his home in Athens. Trippy was inducted into both the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He played at the University of Georgia for three years back in the early 1940s and is still considered one of the most talented players in football history. While at Georgia, Trippy rushed for 1,908 yards and scored 28 total touchdowns. He collected a litany of accolades during his collegiate career as he won the Maxwell Award, was a unanimous All-American, first-team All-SEC twice, SEC Player of the Year, and helped the Bulldogs win a national championship in 1942. His jersey number is also only one of four numbers to be retired by the Georgia football program. Trippy was then drafted by the Chicago Cardinals in the first round and served eight seasons in the Professional Football League. During those eight years, he was first-team All-Pro in 1948, second-team All-Pro the, sec- the season prior, a two-time Pro Bowler, was an NFL champion, and inducted into the Chicago Cardinals Ring of Honor. He also played baseball while at the University of Georgia. 
Trippy played both shortstop and outfield for the Bulldogs, and in 1946, he recorded a batting average of 417 and hit 11 home runs that season as well. He would spend some brief time in the minor leagues before making the decision to head off to the NFL. The Georgia football legend pieced together a remarkable career at both the collegiate and professional levels. He also helped Georgia claim one of their now three national titles. He also served during World War II, which caused him to miss two seasons while at Georgia. Trippy pieced together one of the more impressive playing careers on both the football field and the baseball diamond. He left his mark on the sport and will forever be a household name when it comes to Georgia football. Trippy was about to celebrate his 101st birthday in December of this year. Third down. There were numerous stories to come out of Alabama's loss on Saturday to Tennessee, including blown coverage, missed tackles, but perhaps most of all, penalties. Alabama already has more penalties in seven games than the 2011 or 2012 national champions had during their entire seasons. It is all, it's already been flagged more than Nick Saban's 2007, 2008, and 2013 teams as well. The 2022 tie, Crimson Tide just needs three more penalties to equal the 20, 2009 and 2017 national champions and 12 more to match the 2020 title team. Only one Alabama team under Paul Bear Bryant at Alabama had more flags in 1961 when they had 70. Chances are, though, the Crimson Tide will exceed that total Saturday against Mississippi State. Discipline is the key topic this week in Tuscaloosa, and combined with Alabama looking into wide receiver Jermaine Burton apparently smacking Tennessee fans while leaving the field after the 52-49 loss on Saturday, and it's almost the only thing Saban is being asked about. Last week's single-game record and this team's season record pace aside, only twice this season has Alabama opponent been had more penalties than the Crimson Tide. How important can avoiding penalties be? Consider the Minnesota Vikings, one of the biggest surprise teams in the NFL this season. A key, start to the, a key to the 5-1 start is the Vikings have been called for just 25 penalties so far this year, the second fewest in the league. The 185 penalty yards are the fewest overall. Meanwhile, Minnesota's third, Minnesota is third in, off, in opponent penalties and second in opponent penalty yards per inside the Vikings. A year ago, the Vikings had the fourth most penalty yardage against and the fourth lowest opponent penalty yardage. Alabama used to set the standard for avoiding penalties and forcing opponents into making mistakes. It wasn't that long ago that the biggest discussion regarding flags and Crimson Tide games was, what's it going to take for the officials to call holding on the other team? Nevertheless, one factor that can't be ignored is the Alabama offense morphing into a tempo-based, high-paced scheme to take advantage of NCAA rules. It, make, it made things harder on both the offense, trying to be more relentless in the way it attacks, and the Crimson Tide defense as opponents have more opportunities as well. In short, the numbers started to jump up when Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator and got worse after his departure. During the 2016 season, when Jalen Hurts was a true freshman, Alabama's most egregious foul was false starts. The Crimson Tide had a lot of them with 28, led by left tackle Cam Robinson with 8. Next on the list were 10 pass interference calls and 8 holds, and not all were made by the offense. Meanwhile, opponents were flagged just 58 times that season. Not only was that the fewest during the Saban era, but according to TeamRankings.com, Alabama's opponents had the fewest penalties called against them of any team in college football. 
if they had been flagged the same as their season averages, they should have totaled 86.8 penalties. With Alabama called for just 10 false starts, the 2017 season saw the numbers get a little closer to normal. Specifically, the Crimson Tide was flagged 69 times for 569 yards. According to the NCAA, it was tied for 48th in the nation for fewest penalties and 31st for fewest penalties per game. However, it hasn't been in the top 50 since then. And during most years, hasn't even been that close. The last time Alabama's opponents were flagged more than the Crimson Tide was in 2015. Nick Saban's ability to adapt and adjust to changes in college football have been remarkable, if not extraordinary. But the question now is, did Alabama hit rock bottom in this area at Tennessee? And will things start to improve? Fourth down. The Big 12 will operate without divisions in football next season when the arrival of Central Florida, Cincinnati, BYU, and Houston creates a 14-team conference and ends its current round-robin scheduling framework. Commissioner Brett Yormack held a call with Big 12 schools on Tuesday to announce the plan. Every school will play nine conference games, just like they have since it became a 10-game league, and schools will play each other at least once in each two-year period. Traditional rivalries, at least those left after realignments, will be preserved. From its formation in 1996 until the departure of Nebraska and Colorado in 2010, the league's teams were split into two six-team divisions, with eight conference games each year and the divisional winners meeting in the league title game. The division format was scrapped when the Huskers left for the Big Ten and the Buffaloes for the Pac-12, and everybody played each other in a round-robin format. That continued with the arrival of West Virginia and TCU and the departure of Texas A&M and Missouri for the SEC in 2012. The conference championship game resumed in 2017 with the top two teams from the regular season playing. When it comes to basketball, Yormack said, the 14-team conference would continue with an 18-game schedule, only it will no longer be the double-round round-robin style where schools play each other home and away each season. Oklahoma and Texas, which are tied to the Big 12 until July 2025, are reportedly discussing ways to join the SEC earlier. But Yormack said the league's relationship with both schools remains positive and that both have expressed a commitment to the conference. Each is already on the hook for $80 million in exit fees when they depart, and any deal to depart earlier would send that number soaring higher. My conversations with Oklahoma and Texas have always been about, you know, Being great members until they leave, which is in 25, said Yormack, who has visited each once already and plans to visit them again before the end of the football season. Quote, and the experience has been very positive so far, unquote. Yormack, who was hired in June to replace the retiring Bob Bowlesby, has been busy as the league tries to solidify its place in college athletics. He stated that the Big 12 was, quote, open for business when it came to attracting other teams, which the Pac-12 took as an affront, And he doubled down on that statement on Tuesday, saying, quote, We're open for business in every aspect, expansion being part of that. If there's an opportunity that something presents itself that's truly additive and creates value, extends your geographic footprint, potentially puts us in a fourth time zone, why not? But it's got to be all about value creation. Yormack has also been busy in discussions with television partners ESPN and Fox, about the possibility of striking a new media rights deal almost two years before the current contract expires. The exclusive negotiation window does not open until February 2024, with current contracts set to expire that June. 
Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyvoff has said that his being next in line for a media rights deal after the Big Ten announced its $7 billion contract with three networks was an advantage his league had over the Big 12. The economics matter, Yormack said, but I want a real partnership, and we have a great partnership with both. But everyone needs to step up their game. More marketing, more promotion, more support of our student-athletes in the right ways. More storytelling. Economics matter, though. But it's those fringe benefits that, you know, make a great deal or don't make a deal. But we're getting, a, we're getting to a really good place. And again, if we don't do a deal now, it's okay. End quote. Yormack said that the loss of Oklahoma and Texas, two of the premium brands in college sports, would not decrease the value of the next media rights deal. In fact, he said, we're going up. The question is, how far up? And now we'll step aside to send things over to the official Chatting Yardage mascot correspondent, Mr. Alex Butler, for this week's Mascot Minute. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, we're featuring the Wake Forest University Demon Deacons. The first few decades of the 20th century were particularly rough for the Wake Forest athletic squads, but in 1923, Hank Garrity took the head of football and basketball coaching jobs. His leadership gave the school a short relief from its early mediocrity when he led the football team to three consecutive winning seasons and the basketball team compiled a 33-14 combined record in two seasons. In 1923, the Wake Forest football team defeated rival Trinity, later renamed Duke University. In the following issue of the school newspaper, the editor of the paper, Mayon Parker, 1924 Wake Forest graduate, first referred to the team as Demon Deacons, in recognition of what he called their devilish play and fighting spirit. Henry Belk, Wake Forest's news director, and Garrity liked the title and used it often so the popularity of the term grew. The actual mascot made its first appearance in 1941. As the Demon Deacon terminology became more popular, Jack Baldwin became the first Deacon mascot. Baldwin found an old tuxedo and a top hat, and on the following Saturday, he led the Wake Forest football team onto the field, riding the North Carolina Ram. Two years later, when Baldwin graduated, many interested students were willing to continue dressing up as the mascot. Initially, the responsibility to pick the new Demon Deacons fell on Baldwin's fraternity, but later it broadened to include all students. Today, special tryouts are held annually for new Deacons, and the competition is very intense. A number of years later, the mascot continued to be the Demon Deacon, but the full body was designed after a fan and student named Doc Murphy. If he wasn't going to become a star on the football field, he would become the biggest fan the school had ever seen. We were playing against Carolina, and the fans started hollering, We want Murphy! We want Murphy! P-Head got tired of it and hollered, Murphy, come here! And I said, Coach, who do I go in for? And he said, No damn body. They want you, and I don't want you, so get up there with them. I started right then and there being a cheerleader. Well, not really a cheerleader, but a guy who would get up when you needed somebody to rally the troops. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. It is now time for the Pick 6 Games of the Week here on Chatting Yardage. Uh, These are the six games that I find interesting and I believe that you 
should too. Starting us out here in week eight, hard to believe that we're already at that point, 12 o'clock start between Syracuse and Clemson. Again, that is a noon start on ABC. Both teams undefeated and ranked 14, visiting number five, a game that Ultimately, you have to feel like it's going to decide the Atlantic here, although Syracuse still has to play, I believe, Florida State and Wake Forest. Clemson having already played uh, the big three other contenders, so to speak, in the Atlantic, uh, this is a good game for them to really go ahead and button up their season and kind of cement their place within the ACC championship game come December. Clemson comes into this game a 13-and-a-half-point favorite, but you have to wonder if Dino Babbers and company might have some tricks up their sleeve when they visit Death Valley on Saturday. Second game of the week, 3 p.m. start, West Virginia at Texas Tech. Texas Tech a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Both teams sitting at 3-and-3. Three three. Kind of underwhelming season, so to speak, uh, so far. But these are two offenses that can score and can score quickly. Uh, in terms of prediction, this one's pretty quick. Uh, Pretty close uh, among all of the all of the analysts and, and specialists, so to speak. In terms of total yards, these teams are fairly fairly even. Texas Tech with 484 uh, yards per game. Uh, West Virginia 462 total yards, and they both allowed similar amount of yards at 367 and 374 respectively. So two fairly evenly matched teams. Two very similar. Scheme teams, uh, both sitting at three and three now, looking to get over that hurdle and get to a winning record. So again, West Virginia, Texas Tech, three p.m. on FS1. Then three thirty on CBS, your SEC game of the week. Ole Miss travels to the other Death Valley to take on LSU. Ole Miss, of course, number seven in the country, seven and zero on the year. LSU five and two. Funny enough, though, LSU, as it stands right now, is a two-point favorite in this one. Uh, so this is going to be a tricky game for Lane Kiffin's squad uh, as, as they go into what is a very tough environment to play in day or night. This is a game that's going to tell us a lot, I believe, about Ole Miss. You know, they had the really good win against Kentucky, but that game was also at home. They had the home field behind them. This is going to be the toughest road game they've had so far this year traveling to LSU, an LSU team that's really still trying to find its stride uh, on the season, so that'll be a good one, 3.30 on CBS. Uh, game number four, another 3.30 start, this one on Big Fox, UCLA at Oregon, number nine versus number ten. Uh, Oregon has become you know, just a, a tremendous team despite the, the initial loss to Georgia, which I think everybody was ready, uh, including myself to an extent, ready to bury the Ducks after that one. They've come back and have remained undefeated since then, putting up some really impressive games. UCLA, meanwhile, you know, one of the bigger surprises on the season, especially in the Pac-12, six and zero under Chip Kelly this year. Uh, a good game when it comes to Pac-12 standings. A game that Oregon really needs to win. UCLA is going to really want to win to really to keep their season going. So a game that you know both squads are have to have a win coming out of if they want to look at potentially being in the Pac-12 championship game uh, come December. Again, that's a three thirty kickoff on Fox. Game number five, another 3.30 kickoff. A lot of afternoon games uh, on Saturday to, to be on the lookout for. Texas and Oklahoma State, 3.30 kickoff on ABC. So all of you local, tele all you local television folks uh, are going to have plenty to watch 
uh, surfing back around from ABC, CBS, and Fox. Texas at Oklahoma State, number 20 versus number 11. Texas a six-and-a-half point favorite in this one. Uh, Mike Gundy and his staff going to be looking for a good bounce-back win after falling to TCU last Saturday. Texas, of course, looking to uh, looking to really cement themselves in the upper standings uh, with already having two losses on the year. So this will be a good good win for them. Just uh, you know, I, you could ex- probably expect a, a high-scoring game on this one uh, between two teams that are really built on their their fast offense and quarterback play. Uh, so that should be a good one. 3.30 start on ABC. And game number six, the Horn Frogs of TCU, number eight, host number 17, Kansas State, who comes in at 5-1 and one on the season. Again, just another surprise team, uh, kind of a dark horse sort of pick. TCU only a three-and-a-half point favorite in this one. And it's interesting just from the aspect of seeing if TCU can keep their season going perfect or if Kansas State – like it has so many years in the past, played spoiler against really good teams. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about Kansas State kind of being the kryptonite, so to speak, to Oklahoma in many recent years. We'll, we'll see if the Horn Frogs can match up to that. Uh, those are your pick six games of the week. As always, follow us on Twitter uh, to stay notified on those games and be part of the conversation. We will have a poll up this week. I know I've taken a couple of weeks off of getting that poll up. I haven't meant to. It's just with work schedule and everything. Uh, it's been hard to get that taken care of, but I will have that buttoned up this week so you can participate in the prediction poll. As always, you can be part of the conversation on our Twitter account at Chatting Yardage. The extra point. The extra point this week goes to Tulane. The Tulane Green Wave are ranked for the first time this century, breaking the fifth longest active ranking drought in the FBS. The last time Tulane was ranked was at the end of the undefeated 1998 season, ranked number seven. They have not been ranked again until this week. This week, they check in at number 25 for their homecoming game against Memphis, which will be broadcast on ESPN2 this coming Saturday. So playing us out this week is the Tulane University Marching Band with the Tulane Fight Song. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.